Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we were in the opening verses of that chapter with Tom this time last week, if you were here. Uh, in fact, if you'd come to the service at 10.45 last week, it was the all-age week. And uh, so we were in the same chapter, but it began with Mike Hayes wearing a, a colander on his head uh, with jump leads attached to it. You see what you miss out if you don't come to the all-age service. Uh, why, was, why was Mike born like that? I think um, if you're on Facebook, on the church um, Facebook page, you may have seen a picture of it this week. Um, because at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, after 11 packed chapters of Romans in which Paul has been you know, extolling the glories of what Jesus has come and explaining in great detail the, the meaning of the gospel message, he gets to the end of chapter 11 and it's almost like he takes you know, a great breath after all that he has said. And he says, therefore, and that therefore at the beginning of chapter 12 follows on from everything that has gone in those first 11 chapters. In the light of everything I've said about Jesus, about his gospel, and all the amazing things that Jesus has done, this is how you should live as God's people. And the starting point for all this in chapter 12, verse 2, is that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Not with some kind of metal contraption with leads attached to it, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And this will continue, this thinking about what that means in our lives through the remaining chapters of Romans. But here, in the second half of chapter 12, which you've got there in front of you, you can see Paul is writing particularly about love. A little bit about hate, but mostly about love. Love both for our fellow believers, our sisters and brothers in Christ, but more than that, also love for our enemies. 
So let's think about those two things that Paul writes about here. First of all, part one, love your brothers and sisters, verses 9 to 16. Paul starts with these three statements. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. If I ask you to define love, what would you say? What springs to mind when you think about love? The first thing that Paul says here is that it must be genuine, not phony. The Greek word here for sincere is anhypocritos, literally unhypocritical. It's got to be real. The church is not supposed to be about, you know, kind of niceness or pleasantness, putting on a front for people. Uh, pretending that we like one another, um, being nice while behind others' backs gossiping about them, being cliqued or prejudiced in some way. That's not real love. And it's kind of emphasized then by the combination of the other two things that Paul says at the beginning of our passage. There's kind of a, a negative side and a positive side to it, isn't there? Because our love should be shaped by the moral order that God has designed for us by the way he has made his world to work. And so Paul says, on the one hand, hate the things that God says are evil or wrong. And the word for hate here literally means be horrified by. We should be horrified as God's people by those things in his world that are not right, the things that God says are not good. It's not for us to define good and evil. That was Adam and Eve's basic mistake. If you read the early chapters of Genesis, God says what is what. And so on the flip side of that, we must cling to, literally kind of glue ourselves to, be inseparable from all that is right and good according to God. And it is these things that shape our view of what it means and how to love. Um, Sincere love starts then from a godly sense of right and wrong, not just from how we feel about something or someone. Because it is striking, isn't it, how many conversations about love start with our feelings. But our feelings can let us down in both directions. But what God says does not let us down. Our feelings can cause us to fail to love people who God says we should love. And our feelings can cause us to define as love things which God says we should not love. Well, everything else in the following verses kind of flows out of this instruction to love sincerely and to love according to God's commands. And there's a whole bunch of instructions. It's quite scattergun, isn't it, over the next few verses. I'm going to try and summarize them in four areas here. Um, First of all, there's a sense that Paul is saying to us, real love needs to be committed, doggedly committed. A phrase he uses is devoted to one another in love. And we should be struck by the depth of of the meaning of that. The the message is kind of that we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ as we love our own blood relatives. That's why we sometimes speak of church as family. It's not intended just to be a kind of slightly cloying or empty phrase, but a reminder that we belong to one another in him. It's a particularly challenging thing, I think, for those of us, which is all of us, I think, who have been raised in a kind of individualistic Western culture. Love is to be doggedly committed to one another. Um, Secondly, real love puts others first. Verse 10 again, honour one another 
above yourselves, Paul says. Which means treat each other, regard each other as valuable and as precious. Why should we do that? Well, just look around you for a moment. Um, Look at the other faces in the room. Draw to mind those who are not here. Uh, God says, these are people made in my image. That is what he says about each one of us, number one. Secondly, he says, these are people loved and saved by Jesus Christ. They belong to me. They are united with me in spirit. So we must honour one another as those whom God has honoured and loved first. And that means that real love changes not only our view of each other, but also our view of ourselves. See, the flip side of this is what Paul says down in verse 16. Do not be proud and do not be conceited. Because Paul knows, I think, the human tendency, my tendency, and I imagine it's probably yours, is to think of others too carelessly and think of ourselves too highly. Now, that's not the way he says. Real love puts others first. Thirdly, that real love is patient in verses 11 and 12. There's that encouragement to keep our spiritual fervor, to encourage one another in hope and with patience and in prayer. There's lots we could say about each of these things. haven't got time to this morning. But I think it's worth noting that those things mentioned there, they're not just about how each of us individually relates to God. This is a passage about how we love one another. And so a question to ask is, how do we encourage that kind of hope and patience and prayer in our sisters and brothers who may be struggling with any one of those things? And then fourthly, real love combines both feelings and actions. There's very much action in verse 13, isn't there? With the instruction to practice hospitality. And then in those striking words in verse 50, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. And they, they, that sounds great, doesn't it? But I think it's not easy to do. Uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. When, when someone else has been successful, when things have gone well, so often the tendency can be, well, a better tendency can, can be to think, well, they're okay then. A slightly worse one can be to feel a bit envious of their success. I think it was all right for them. What about me? But Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. When it goes well for one of your sisters and brothers, that is a good thing. Stand alongside them in that. But also, mourn with those who mourn. And we find that one difficult for different reasons, don't we? It's not often that we don't care when we know that someone among us is suffering. It's more likely that we we don't quite know what to say and we feel a bit awkward. And so we kind of shy away. The encouragement here, which I think is such a good one for us, is to stand with each other, stand alongside each other, whether the times are good or the times are hard. Um, Don't neglect one another, but love one another. That's what Christians are called to do, uh, where love means doing whatever it takes to give each other whatever it is that we need. That's the first part of real love in action, Paul says here. The second part, though, is, well, it's not surprising if you've read the Bible before, but it is a surprising thing, isn't it? Because he says in verses 17 to 21, love your enemies. People love to get revenge, really, don't we, on our enemies? We prefer to do that than than to love them. It's human nature. 
Um, if you think that's not true, um, and some of you will know this well, depending on where you live in the village, all you have to do is live near the narrow bit of Grange Lane for a short while, and you'll see what happens when someone feels that they've been unfairly held up for five seconds or more by a car travelling in the opposite direction. And you get the horns, and you sometimes get the words, and you get the gestures, and sometimes it can go on for quite some time. I know that's a trivial example, but I think it's a small window into the sort of thing that can be much larger, which is what Paul says Christians should not do here. Verse 16, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Instead, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then down in verse 21, do not be over with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's hugely challenging, isn't it? You know, it's essentially this. When someone treats you badly, you should treat them well. Or as Jesus, of course, simply said, love your enemies. Why is this so important? Well, first of all, uh, where Paul says there, do not overcome evil with evil, but evil with good. He knows that you cannot overcome evil with evil. It simply doesn't work. When you try that, evil wins. If we hate someone who has wronged us, then eventually the hate will swallow us up too. We so easily can identify the wrong thing with the person who has done the wrong thing and end up hating the person instead of hating what has been done. Other people are not our real enemies. The devil is our enemy, the Bible tells us. And we cannot fight the devil with the devil's weapons. It doesn't work. Um, I don't know if you've um, ever read or watched The Lord of the Rings. Um, apparently it was the most um, voted for popular book of the 20th century or, or something like that. Um, if you know the story, don't worry if you don't. It's a bit like when the character Boromir, who is a good character, wants to keep hold of the, wrong, of the one ring so that it can be used against the evil character Sauron. But what he wants to do, actually, is fight evil with evil. And as he discovers at the cost of his life, if you try to do that, the evil will come back to get you. Instead, Paul says, overcome evil with good. The basic goal, which echoes Jesus himself, is to forgive, love, and show kindness, even to those who treat us like enemies. And that is what made Jesus different, isn't it? He only asks of his people what he did himself. The way in which he defeated his greatest enemies, sin, death, and the devil, was by apparently allowing that evil to overcome him. When we do this, it both stops the spread of evil by depriving it of oxygen, and at least sometimes can stop the spread of evil in the person who has wronged us too. Maybe even softening their own attitudes and hearts, not always. And that's maybe something of what Paul is getting to as he speaks of heaping burning coals on their heads. Just maybe, in the long run, leading to repentance and reconciliation. And the bar is set high here, isn't it? This is not an easy thing. Live at peace with everyone as far as it depends on you, verse 18. As a call not to just avoid a hostile person. Aim higher than that. Aim, if you can, for peace. Verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
Don't just steer clear of him. Help him. Again, it, it's about love in action, isn't it? Not just in feeling or words. And also verse 19. Don't look to get even. Leave that to God. Do not take revenge. Some of you are probably thinking, probably should be thinking, Rob, isn't this just deluded? How is it possible? How is it possible to live like that, especially if you've been really hurt by someone? And some of us will have experienced that for ourselves. And if we haven't experienced it for ourselves, we're probably aware of someone else, maybe someone we love who has been hurt like that. It is a very good question. How is this possible? It's the right question to ask. Because we can't manage this, can we? No, we can't. But Jesus can. And it's the gospel that makes all of this possible. If you draw to mind, you probably already have, uh, some way in which you have been wronged in the past. Paul says, don't look for revenge, don't pay them back, but show blessing and love. And there are no exceptions here, are there? Um, No situations or persecutions which are so great where Paul says, okay, well, if that happens, then just get them back. Go, go Go and retaliate. And it's the good news of Jesus, what we call the gospel, that can help us and empower us to do this. How? First of all, the gospel just reminds us, doesn't it, of how patient God has been with us. And that changes us. If you're a Christian, the Lord was patient with you before you came to faith. He did not judge you and deal with you. He gave you time to repent and come to him. And now you are a Christian. He is still patient with you and with me in the ways we have messed it up in the last week. And he forgives us. And he does it at great cost to himself. The gospel reminds us how patient God is with us. Secondly, the gospel shapes and changes how we think of ourselves. And we saw this last week in verse 3 where Paul says, don't think too highly of yourselves, but with sober judgment. Which means that on the one hand, we don't forget that we were lost sinners without Christ. And so any person in front of us, whatever they've done, is only in the situation we were in. And at the same time, we know in the gospel that we stand justified and loved in Christ before our Father in heaven. And so we have nothing to prove. Uh, We couldn't prove ourselves even if we needed to, but we don't need to, because the only person whose approval counts is Jesus, and he gives us that approval beyond our imagining, which begins to set us free to look at others differently. And then three, the gospel tells us there is a judge, a judge we can trust. And verse 19, I think, is really key to all of this. If what Paul is saying is that we should just love and forgive those who wrong us as if it doesn't matter, well, that would be wrong, wouldn't it? It would be unjust, as well as being emotionally untenable. You know, I couldn't do that. But he's not saying, look, those wrongs don't need putting right. Just ignore them. Put them to one side. Just love one another. It'll all be fine. He is not saying that. In verse 19, he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 32, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We need God's wrath. I know we don't always like to talk about it, But it's a good thing because it frees us from having to fight against evil. 
if God will repay, if he will deal with sin, and we know he cares about it and he does, otherwise Jesus wouldn't have needed to be crucified, then we don't need to get even. There is a cost to sin, and there is a cost when sin against us. But there will be a day of judgment when everything is brought into the light of Christ and set right. It's the good news of Jesus that frees us to actually love our enemies. And to do all of these things, in fact, in Romans 12 and in chapter 13 onwards, which we'll come to next time, because of what Jesus has done. Because he turned the other cheek and did not retaliate against those who hurt him. He has made it possible for there to be forgiveness and hope, even for his enemies, which is what we were. Now, we live in a world, don't we, where self-sacrifice is seen as foolish or weak, for losers. The gospel says, actually, this way of Christ is the way of victory. Um, I would want to just add in passing that, please be clear on this, this is not in any way some kind of abuser's charter. I'm not speaking here about someone who finds themselves in a situation of danger. Let me be absolutely clear. Paul is not saying that if you are being abused or if you're experiencing, I don't know, domestic violence or something, or if someone you know is in that situation, then you should just forgive and carry on. Now, if that is you or someone you know, then you should um, get out and get safety and seek help. This is not about that. We're not called to place ourselves in danger. This is about how we process what happens to us. This is about all of those situations that we encounter in everyday life. Some of them small, some of them quite big. Where our human tendency is to want to get even, fight back, get revenge, make them pay, lean on the horn and make the other person reverse. And Paul says, look at Jesus. There is a different way, a better way. Love one another in joy and in sorrow. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, because that is what Jesus did for us. Let's just pause to reflect for a moment and to pray. Before I lead us in prayer, it may be that there is someone in your past or in your present who has done you evil. What is it you need to ask of Jesus this morning as you respond? What would it look like for you to seek peace as far as it is possible? To leave room for God's wrath? And what does it mean to both rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the good news of Jesus changes everything. We thank you for our Saviour Jesus, who did not fight against us when we were your enemies, but instead gave himself for us. And so we pray, and by the power of your gospel, by the presence of your Holy Spirit, equip and enable us to love one another, and to live out the kind of radical love for enemies 
that was modelled by Jesus, our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen.